He smashed pretty much every billboard and streaming record that matters. It has already been streamed more than a billion times. Billion. People still to this day point to, this is the moment everything changed. But whether you agree with those claims or not, this podcast isn't really about him. Either you're not an astute businessman or you're inherently racist when it comes to black music in this country. This is not a Drake podcast. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. Hello, I'm Martine Saint-Victor. I'm Isabelle Racicot. Welcome to See It at the Table, a talk show about pop culture and media. Today we get to talk to a woman that we see often on TMZ because she's the divorce lawyer to such stars as Britney Spears, Angelina Jolie, Johnny Depp. I mean, we could go on and on because they all get divorced at one point or another. And when they do, they rush to her. Her name is Laura Wasser, so uh, we're going to chat with her. Also, she's going to be with Alex Cohen a bit later on because this Montrealer has created an app with her on divorcing online. Exactly. I've known Alex since I was nine years old. He's born and raised in Montreal. Now he's a big shot negotiator in LA. He's worked with LeBron James. He's worked with Beats by Dre. So I'm very excited about this homecoming of sorts. But wait a second, divorcing online? This is where we are, Isabel. Get with the program. Please, I would never do that. You don't know. What do you mean I don't know? Of course I know. Would well, you divorce online? Yes. But yet you're not married yet. So. Well, exactly. <laughs> you're already waiting to divorce, <laughs> but you're not married. Statistics. <laughs> Whatever. I can't wait to hear about that app. And a bit later on during the show, we'll also have the segment, The Elephant in the Room, where we're going to discuss about successful women that make us feel bad. Yes. Hello, Ariana Huffington. When celebrity couples break up, they call Laura Wasser. And her list of past clients sound like a VIP list for the Oscars after party. She's represented Angelina Jolie, Britney Spears, Ryan Reynolds, Heidi Klum, Stevie Wonder, Johnny Depp. I can't name them all. Her reputation as Hollywood's divorce lawyer has earned her the nickname Disso Queen, as in dissolution of marriage. So Laura Wasser joins us at the table from Los Angeles. Hello. Hello, ladies. First of all, I have to tell you, my husband was a bit scared that I was chatting with you today. (laughs) (laughs) I get that a lot. I'm sure. Uh, You've become the unofficial lawyer to the stars. Uh, Why do you think so many celebrities trust you uh, with their divorces? Oh, well, I mean, I've been doing it for a while. I started when I was really right out of law school. My father is a family law attorney, and so I went into his firm When I was actually going through my own divorce at 25, I got married when I was in law school. And I think one of the reasons that uh, people in the entertainment industry are drawn to our firm is that we really, really try to get things resolved without too much publicity and without too much litigation. But I think that because we've always been pretty good at navigating the settlement waters, People's representatives, their entertainment attorneys, their business managers, their managers um, send them our way because they like to make sure that their clients are being dealt with in a manner that does keep things relatively quiet and um, gets it done quickly. 
You've mentioned that your father was a lawyer. He's a he was also a celebrity, a divorce lawyer. How are things changed from the time he was, uh, you know, working with his clients, as opposed to you now with the internet and the extensive media coverage? A lot. <laughs> I mean, sure. even in the years I've been practicing, because of the advent of the internet, things happen so much more quickly. And although in my father's practice, he has always tried to make sure things were resolved without the necess- necessary court intervention, right. we do that even more now because in California, the minute you file something, it becomes public and it yeah. is all over the world in two seconds. And so these people are living out what is often one of the most miserable times of their life very publicly. So it has changed quite a bit. And so obviously, like you mentioned, the internet has made a a big difference. What's the craziest thing, Laura, you've had to do to prevent a divorce from leaking out to the media? Oh, the craziest thing I've had to do. I mean, I can't, I, I, there have been many crazy things. I mean, just some of the machinations. And I think this is one of the reasons we really, really try very hard to keep things private. Once it gets public, it's harder to resolve. So if I have to have secret meetings at a hotel somewhere with a client so that nobody knows that I'm meeting with them or figure out ways of filing documents with a private judge that aren't going to get into the public system. I mean, it really is a good, I'd say, 25 to 35 percent of our time is spent figuring out ways to keep it quiet. And again, that's what the parties want as well. They don't want it publicly all over the place. They want to be able to resolve their differences, particularly, as I said, if they have kids, quietly. I love the human aspect of it all. Um, But I've heard so many times people say, well, you know, all these rich people, whether they're celebrities or, you know, well-known personalities, they have money, they can afford these divorces. It's really simple. Why are they making it so you know, so sounding so sad. And what's your point? Because you you are with them all the time. Like, I, in some ways, I think that divorce is the great equalizer. I mean, you can take, add or subtract, you know, a few zeros to the end of whatever somebody's net, you know, balance sheet is. But the bottom line is, um, it's one of the scariest, saddest and most insecure feelings you're going to have. And it doesn't matter if you're a huge rock star or a film star or you run a studio. Chances are you have not been through this before. You don't know what the law is Mm. in the state where you lived. And so this is your first time treading these very uncertain waters. And yeah, as with anything, having some money makes it easier to deal with things. But at the same time, the emotional aspect of splitting up a home, splitting up a family, having two different households to support, um, that's scary and it's difficult. And so navigating it, again, with people that can help you get through it and the person who should have the same interest in you, which is keeping the cost down and keeping things rational, is one of the best things that you can do for yourself. Okay, from the outside, uh, when we look at Hollywood, some people have been married like three, four, or five times. (laughs) And we're asking ourselves, why do they do this? Why do they keep on putting themselves in this situation? And we're already calling the date when they're going to announce their divorce. Like, (laughs) is it us seeing things from the exterior that we're missing? Or is just, it's it's a common thing to get married in LA and who cares what happens after? 
It's Hollywood, guys. It's fantasy. <laughs> it's it's the it's the dream. And so you you the the idea of falling in love and setting a wedding date and picking the dress and having all of your best friends there for the gorgeous flower arrangements and the food and the music and all that. People love that. And so far be it for anyone to tell them that they shouldn't or bah humbug or whatever. I love a good <laughs> wedding as much as the next person. And so you know, I think that's why it happens. I also think that people do buy into that dream maybe more in Hollywood, in the entertainment industry, mm. because so many of their lives are kind of built on fantasy and make-believe. And maybe it's harder to see the truth, the reality, the harsh, cold misery of what could end up happening. But as they say, better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all, right? Yeah. Right. Can you tell us some of the out, most outrageous uh, demands that were written down in the divorce de- uh, papers? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I won't. I don't always write them down because they are so outrageous, but I can tell you <laughs> some of the most outrageous requests I've gotten. We have had requests that, you know, a person has to take an AIDS test in order to um, receive the divorce documents in final. We've had <laughs> crazy requests regarding shared custody of animals, a parrot, um, dogs, animals, for better or for worse, the law is they have they're no more um, they're no more than just a, a vase or or a piano. So they're just objects to be you know gone back and forth. So creating you know elaborate custody agreements for pets is something that we've seen and kind of say okay, well here we go. This is important to our clients, so let's come up with it. Um, as you know, I represent many, many high-worth individuals, and watching what some of these people will fight over is is quite amazing. And again, everything is relative. And when you sit in my seat, you have to realize that, you know, a golf club membership may be as important to this uh, man or woman as as some other, you know, much more seemingly important asset could be important to somebody that is living in the middle of the United States with not as much money. It's all relative. We try not to judge. But yes, people can be somewhat outrageous in their demands and their requests. <laughs> I heard one of your clients even uh, said that if uh, his ex-wife wanted a bonus, she had to lose the baby weight. Is that true? <laughs> well, that's a story that's gone around. See, that's in a prenuptial agreement. And what happens is we would never write that. You can't put that in a prenuptial agreement. But we've had people say, yes, she has to drop the baby weight if she wants to get this money at the end of the year. Or there have been things like if he leaves the toilet seat up, then I don't have to you know, give over this much money at the end of the 10 year anniversary or whatever. But we try not to reduce those to writing because they're not enforceable. And so if they actually did get divorced and somebody contested the prenuptial agreement, it would be rather embarrassing not to be able to enforce that provision. Well, if I would have known there was a clause for the toilet seat, I think I would have had put it in. You'd be, you'd, you'd <laughs> be rich the, tooth, the cap on the toothpaste. Exactly. <laughs> We've all heard of websites and apps that help you start a relationship, right? Think of uh, OkCupid, uh, Tinder, or even Ashley Madison. But what about a service that helps you end one? Well, we know that 38% of first marriages in Canada end in divorce. And in the United States, we're talking about between 40 and 45%. So there's obviously a market for it. So now, thanks to Laura Wasser and our next guest, there's an app to divorce. It's called It's Over Easy. It's overeasy.com. And so Alex Cohen is a lawyer by trade. He's also a dealmaker in Hollywood. 
Los Angeles, and there is a Canadian connection. He's a Montrealer, studied law at the University of Toronto, moved to New York, and now he's been in L.A. for about 10 years. Welcome, Alex. Hi. And so, Alex, you're known for having worked on some pretty big deals from LeBron's uh, lifetime deal with Nike, um, the deal between Apple and Beats by Dr. Dre. First of all, how easy is it? I mean, is it obviously less paperwork? Give us a sense of the difference between old school divorce and this this new approach to it. Well, the the process is always difficult, right? It's a very emotional process. But I think over easy, what we try to do is make the the actual paperwork and the administrative part of it simpler and uh, a little bit more kind of straightforward. So let me ask you this, though. W once you fill out the form, how long does it take to get divorced? Do you press on send and then you're divorced? No, no. I mean, I can. Laura can uh, help answer this question. It, <laughs> it depends. In every jurisdiction, it's different. In California, we have a mandatory six-month waiting period. So from okay. the time you file and serve the petition for dissolution, it's going to be six months even if everything was done two days later. Um, and that's just kind of old law. That's how it works. But we estimate that usually filling out the paperwork and then having the discussions and negotiations with the other party, depending on how complicated the estate is, usually will take a few months anyway. So the six-month mm -hmm. waiting period kind of makes sense. And yes, there's a few different times you will push send in terms <laughs> of you know a a submitting the paperwork. Once would be the petition and response. Another would be your financial documents and custody plan. And then the third would actually be like the deal, whatever it is you and your spouse have come up with. And so we do in California think that the entire process will take about six months, but there's no reason it couldn't be done sooner. And in other states, as we continue to roll out our platform, that could certainly happen sooner, depending on what the law is in that state. And so what about the cost? I, I, I imagine that that's one of the appeals. Absolutely. I, you know, like I said, I think that there's a lot of mystery behind legal services. And what we try to do is kind of have an out front cost. Uh, we're still in beta testing, so we're still playing around with the right pricing, but we will have a tier that is relatively uh, inexpensive and really meant for people that, uh, you know, are very, um, have a, you know, despite their, their breakup, have a good relationship and are able to cooperate. Uh, and there will be other tiers of service that offer more interaction and they're less automated, if you will, that allow people to consult with lawyers or mediators and have a, a third party involved to help smooth the process. Did we answer that question, though? How much money? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's significantly lower than it would cost to hire two attorneys to argue back and forth. This is kind of okay. this, the do-it-yourself divorce. And yes, there it, we can't give you an exact amount because there will be kind of a menu to choose from whether you uh, want to okay. do it all yourself yeah. online, that would be one flat fee. But then we've also got, here's if you need an expert to give you an hour of their time to talk about the financial. And so there's ways of doing it. No matter what, though, we can't imagine that this uh, platform, going it th this way, would not be less expensive than going through the, the normal process of having two lawyers, generating letters, fighting about things back and forth. This lets you really be the master of your own destiny as you're going through this process. Mm -hmm. An average divorce would cost somewhere between fifteen to thirty thousand dollars. Not not a Laura Wasser divorce, maybe, but an average <laughs> divorce. And so this will be significantly lower than that. Well, I've been married for eighteen years, and I can't even think of the time where I'm going to choose a nap to divorce. You know, after so many years, I, I just find it so impersonal, though. Well, uh, <laughs> let me put it this way: I hope to never use the product. Also, <laughs> so this is one of those rare cases where we're investing in something where we. 
never want to use it. But yeah. the reality is that, that, you know, a few years ago, I think it was kind of embarrassing to admit that people were dating online. And uh, because it seemed impersonal and it seemed kind of thing, something that someone who was socially awkward would do. But I think that's kind of completely changed now. And this mm-hmm. new generation is, you know, they meet people online, they, they organize their lives online. And divorce is when you say it's impersonal, it doesn't mean that you are not communicating with your spouse. What it means is that you're using a resource online to help you through the process. So it's not that, you know, you're completely ignoring the other person and and doing something impersonally, but you're just Mm. using technology to help facilitate something instead of using somebody else or in conjunction with using somebody else instead of paying that person for their time when you can be using your own time to to do a lot of the stuff yourself or or using technology to help you. Well, this technology, Alex, is really a sign of the times. So do you think that, um, uh, and this question goes to, to, to Laura and to you, do you think that your number one target are millennials, for example, who rely on technology for everything else? I think the answer is definitely yes. I mean, especially at first. Uh, like anything these days, that, that's the first generation to kind of adopt something and show the rest of us how it's done. And I think that, that you know, as they get of age, they're starting to unfortunately hit that point where they're thinking about divorce or, or, or getting divorced. So I think that, um, yeah, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're our primary target. And what about the gender line? We know that um, stats show that women are usually the ones who initiate divorce. Divorce, Do you you think that this app will perhaps change that that gender line or... I don't see why it would change the, gen- the gender line. I think we, in all our research, uh, you know, we've we've seen that women are more likely to use this app. So we've focused it uh, in some ways to make it more appealing to them to use. But, um, you but know, we also don't want to alienate the men if they are the spouses that are going to be coming and joining. The the woman may yeah. find us. The woman may do the initial paperwork, and then when she we have a. A screen where you invite your spouse to join, and we want that to be appealing to them as well. A, the the low cost is certainly appealing, and then B, it's not going to be a flowery, you know, purple and pink kind of a website. It's going to really, really be very um, non-gender specific in order that same-sex couples, um, heterosexual couples, men and women, fathers and mothers are able to use it and get information regarding moving on to the next step of their life. What are the common mistakes that couples make when they're in the middle of a divorce? And and will, you know, will your the app correct that or help them correct that? I think by even have making the choice to use the app, you're making a choice that you are not going to make some of the mistakes that I see couples make. One of the reasons that we decided to do this is because I've had so many clients and friends say to me, oh, if I only knew then when I was going through my divorce what I know now, now that I've come out the other side of it. And we wanted to be able to say, like, I mean, people, you know, spent months and hundreds of thousands of dollars arguing about things that if they had taken a moment, gotten rational about it and thought about it in a more, you know, maybe maybe Spartan kind of a way, then you wouldn't necessarily be spending all this money going forth. We try to mm-hmm. take a lot of the emotion out of the legal part of it. Yes, it's going to be emotional, but if you start from a place knowing, hey, we're both parents, we know that our children need both of us, then you don't spend 12 months arguing about 
Wednesday nights. Let's try out you having Wednesday nights, you know, two weeks out of the month and me having Wednesday nights the other two weeks out of the month. And I also think that the newest generation of people that are getting divorced kind of realize that maybe more than the last generation did. Mm-hmm. It's called It's Over Easy. You can find it on uh, online. It's to divorce. And uh, our guest and the founders of this, Laura Wasser and Alexander Cohen, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank, thank you. you. Okay, well, that was an interesting interview. The app at the end is less impersonal than I thought, but still... It sounds so easy when uh, Alex Cohen was explaining that, you know, you know, that's the way it is now. It's the future, Isabel. This is the future. <laughs> well, you know, I still have issues with that. Well, you have issues with that. To be honest, my issues in researching for, for this interview, it, it's not an issue. It really broke my heart. as I, I fell on this Canadian um, research, the sources, the Vanier Institute of the Family. And the top eight reasons people marry, I mean, in the top eight reasons that people marry, mm-hmm. nowhere does love Come what? In. No. Number one reason, feeling that marriage signifies commitment. Number two, okay. moral values. Number three, believe that children should have married parents. Number four, it is the natural thing to do. Number five, financial security. Number six, religious beliefs. Number seven, pressure from family. Number eight, <laughs> pressure from friends. That is terrible. Number one reason should be love. Number two reason should be love. Number three reason should be love and so forth. Not necessarily, <laughs> because sometimes you can f- feel that you're in love with somebody, but know that this is not a right person for you and to spend the rest of your life with. No, or I it's agree. just impossible. But when you read the first three, that is part of what love is about also. What's number one? Feeling that marriage sin- signifies commitment. So you want a, com- a commitment because you're in love with somebody. Mm-hmm. You don't want a commitment with somebody that you just don't like, right? No. Well, I understand, but... But uh, I think people, it, it means yeah. to to bring that relationship to a different level because you're so much in love. Yes. That that's what it sounds to me. Number one. Well, to me, what it sounds that it sounds like is that some people marry uh, and it has nothing to do with love. Number two, moral values. Well, again, when you ask somebody why they love the other person, they have the same values. He makes me laugh. Well, sometimes, so, they, sometimes they do reply that, but it has nothing to do with love. Eh, we get along. <laughs> we have the same values. Blah, blah, blah. We get married. That's terrible. You find you're such a romantic. Number exactly. three? Yes, I am. What's number three again? Believe that children should have married parents. Okay, I get, I get why that answer <laughs> is there. I think it's a beautiful gesture. They want to have their kids see the love and... and, Or or sometimes they say, oh, we just want to have kids, let's get married. And there's no love there. Do you know? No, I know. But sometimes they marry for love and they end up divorcing after two years. I know. Hence the the app. You see? There is is a market. There, there, There is definitely a market. I just... I just hope that, and I think that's a message to uh, to all of us as human beings. I think that at the end of it all, divorce should be done in a amicable and civ- civilized manner. Yes. Especially when you have kids. It's mm. not about you. It's about them. Mm. And when I see that people have had better relationship after their separation, mm. I say good for you. And especially good for your kids. And that's the way it should happen. Be in love and get married, people. And if you need to get a divorce... Don't call me. I don't know how to do this yet. (laughs) Just hit the internet. (laughs) 
the elephant in the room where we talk about topics that many of us are thinking about but not necessarily talking about and this time we want to discuss about successful women that make us feel bad the way to a more productive more inspired more joyful life is getting enough sleep and we women are going to lead the way in this new revolution this new feminist issue we are literally going to sleep our way to the top literally <laughs> <laughs> You recognize Ariana Huffington. She is the co-founder of the Huffington Post. Uh, Huffington Post is present in 14 countries. Very successful woman. I like her. This is what I'm tired of. Getting more sleep is not the new feminist issue, which is what she claims as well. I am happy that she gets nine hours of sleep. I don't know that that's a reality for most of us. Furthermore, I am tired as a working woman who actually loves her job, mm -hmm. loves to work, for all these successful women to make me feel bad about not getting enough sleep, not leaving the office at five, not uh, being more balanced. Maybe work is my balance. Okay, you're referen referencing you're to Sheryl Sandberg as well, COO of, of Facebook, who on one side of the mouth says, lean in, take more space at work, ask for more. And on the other side of the mouth says, five o'clock, you have to leave so you can be with your kids. Now, don't get me wrong. I like Ariana Huffington. I like Sheryl Sandberg. They deserve everything that they've gotten. However, do they forget how they got all, all, of, mm -hmm. all of this? They got all of this by working long hours, sleeping few hours, right? <laughs> and so now all of a sudden that they are, they are in this situation, uh, they're preaching to a choir that I think is very small. I think their choir is the 1% of the 1%. For starters, Ariana Huffington and Sheryl Sandberg are financi financially predisposed in a way that most of us are not. Like I said, I like mm -hmm. my work and I don't think it makes me, I don't need somebody to make me feel bad because I don't sleep nine hours per night. Have, when's the last time you slept nine hours? Well, actually this week because I'm trying to get some rest. <laughs> but okay, this I is the thing. I, I agree. I would add uh, Gwyneth Paltrow to that list of successful women that make us feel bad. Oh, for sure. Uh, she makes me crazy. She, I know. Seriously. It, yeah. Like, why is she making me feel like I'm killing my kids because I'm not feeding them bio food all the time? Like, right. I can't I can't even afford her $190 uh, facial natural cream. <laughs> yeah. I mean, please. Yeah. But I know how much you enjoy a Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> quotes. And here's what she says. I would rather die than let my kid eat cup of soup. Fine, then. Arrivederci. Can you believe this? Then, arrivederci. I mean, what, what, can I, what can I respond to that? Do you know how it's not only that it's elitist to say that. Yes. First of all, what's wrong with soup? And cup of soup. And cup of soup. <laughs> what's wrong with that? It's helped me many times, like no. many other things but like this, when I don't have time to cook yeah. a decent meal. Yeah. The problem, again, is that what she needs to say is that she has someone at home cooking, that, cooking for her. And there's a difference between saying, you know, you should work three times a week, whatever works for you. There's a difference between that and saying, I'd rather die than eat a cup of soup. <laughs> Are you serious? First of all, no one asked you if you if you ate a cup of soup, right? Well, I think it was Conan O'Brien that asked her that. <laughs> mm, whatever. It's the great. It's the it's the great divide. My my. But but again, you know the the and I I think that there's obviously a market for that because I think you have the figures for. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. You know, the self help industry uh, represents ten billion a year in the U.S. And you know, 
73% of the people who buy those self-help are women under 45. Mm -hmm. So they're women with probably young kids, you know, trying to juggle work and being a Stay, well, well, being a mom also. Mm -hmm. So I think that they're looking for help. And these women are there to tell them or, you know, give them ideas or advice on what to do. I think that their discourse is important mm -hmm. in the sense that you can't apply everything they're saying to your life, but you can take something out of it. You know, you can't have eight hours of sleep mm -hmm. uh, every night. It's impossible. But if you try and say to yourself, well, I'm going to have a day, a night or two in the week, it may make a difference in your life because I see the difference when I sleep nine hours. I'm yep. a lot more productive. You know, the troubles or the problems don't seem as big. I mean, I see the difference when I sleep properly of, rather of than when I sleep is about, for five hours. No, no, you know? Everybody knows that more sleep is more beneficial. That's not my point. My point is that there's a fine line between saying, you know what? Let me try to make my life a little better, which is what we should all do all the time. There's a fine line between that and these women making me feel like I've completely failed that life. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then, <clears throat> the, and I want to come back to Sheryl Sandberg because I do like her, you know, and, and, and I know she got where she is because of her brains and her hard work. So I take nothing away from her uh, on that front. What I don't like is when she says, you know, you should leave at five. The reason she can leave at five is because for years she didn't. For years, she spent long hours at work, climbing that ladder. Good Having for her. Having nannies, ha and that she has a she has a nanny uh, at home. Yeah. Do you know Ariana Huffington has grown children, so of course she can sleep nine hours, because she doesn't have to take yeah. care of them. You know they're self sufficient. But where I do find comfort is that they are there are women who are um, you know top CEOs or you know on, on top of their on top of their job. Their jobs, and they they tell you straight up that you know having it all is just a brand. It means absolutely nothing, which is also what I think. So I take comfort in uh, Indra Nui, who's the CEO of PepsiCo, and I think we have a clip from that. I don't think women can have it all. I just don't think so. Um, we pretend we have it all. We pretend we can have it all. Um, you know, my husband and I married for 34 years, and we have two daughters. And every day you have to make a decision on whether you are going to be a wife or a mother. In fact, many times during the day, you have to make those decisions. And um, you have to co-opt a lot of people to help you. We co-opted our families to help us. We plan our lives meticulously so we can be decent parents. But if you ask our daughters, I'm not sure they will say that I've been a good mom. I'm not sure. You know, you have to cope because you die with guilt. You just die with guilt. The biological clock and the career clock are in total conflict with each other. Total, complete conflict. When you have to have kids, you have to build your career. Just as you're rising to middle management, your kids need you because they're teenagers, they need you for the teenage years. And that's the time your husband becomes a teenager too. So he needs you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they need you too. So what do you do? And as you grow even more, Your parents need you because they're aging. So we're, we're screwed. I mean, we have no, we have no, we cannot have it all. Oh, she's so right. Thank you, Indra Nui, for this. That was a clip from her oh. speaking at the Aspen Ideas Festival in, in 2014. So what I want to say is that don't be a Gwyneth. Yes. You don't have to be a Gwyneth. No. You can be an Indra. You'll be just fine. And you know what? I, I hear her when she says many times during the day you have to decide between work and being a mom. And, you know, we're 
also stuck with so much guilt. I think as soon as we give birth, we're stuck with mm-hmm. guilt. Uh, and, and, and she's right. You know, there is this conflict between the biological clock and the career clock. And we just have to handle it the best that we can. And I've said to my children many times, and I don't feel guilty about this, I'm a better mother because I work. I feel better. I'm happier. And so you are going to win because I get to work. Mm-hmm. I've made it clear. They yeah. understand it. They see it. And you know what? I think at the same time, I'm teaching my kids that you don't have it all in life and you can. It, it's never going to be easy. You have to work for what you want. Right. Bottom line. Well, <clears throat> I don't have kids and yet and I, I like work. I love my work and I don't feel guilty about loving my work. And I don't feel I always say this people around you, if they love you, they'll adjust. You're right. So if that means I, I, I miss a few things or they'll adjust because I'm doing something that I love and it's, you know, it's it's really, I, I think we have to remember that it's um, quantity, not quality. Exactly. So, you know, like you, Isabel. I mean, I only spend about 12 hours a day with you. <laughs> <laughs> Am I sensing some frustration here? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> well, thank you to the, the Gwyneth Paltrow's, <laughs> Sheryl Sandberg, and Ari ha- Ariana Huffington of the world. Yes, that's it. But be an Indra. Oh, yes. That's going to be our saying. Be an Indra. is a CBC original podcast. I'm Martine Saint-Victor. And I'm Isabelle Racicot. Seat at the Table is produced by Alan Johnson and Melissa Fondera with technical work by Martin Lavoie and Mélanie Vier. We want to hear what you have to say. On Twitter, use the hashtag ACCBC and tweet us directly at Martine Montreal and at Isabelle Racicot. We're also on Facebook, Seat at the Table CBC or shoot us an old-fashioned email seat at cbc.ca To make sure you never, ever, ever miss an episode of Seat at the table subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast and don't forget to review us be kind <laughs> and you won't want to miss next week's show i want to talk about the commercials mm. in which we hear sunglasses at night yeah. the good chat <laughs> it was spectacular well, yeah to, to understand the history <laughs> i don't really have i have control but i don't have control really because what i did when i was very young when i got my my first recording contract was have no lawyer look at it, which was very foolish. And I just went for one clause in the contract that I wanted to, to, to see was written there. And that contract said, Corey Hart has full artistic control over his music. Mm. The rest, I said, I don't give a shit. I don't care. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.